Good afternoon, everybody. I hope you're well and keeping safe and listening and obeying all the guidelines as laid down by the government at these particular time. I'm going to bring a wee message from the book of Acts, chapter 16. I'm sitting here at my desk and I thought I would do this in two parts because uh, the podcast only records a certain length of time and I will do part one, part two, and I hope it's a blessing to you. Uh, The message is entitled, The Conversion of a Jew and a Jailer. The Apostle Paul was on his missionary journey and uh, he came to uh, a riverside meeting where we read uh, in Acts 16 verse 13 and on the Sabbath we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made and we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. And a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshipped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, and she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized, and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show us unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains were gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace unto the rulers and brought them to the magistrate, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to obey, being Romans. And the multitudes rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Who, having received such a charge, thrust them in to the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and every one's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in, came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas. 
and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them, and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. May God bless the reading of his precious and inspired truth. The conversion then of a Jew and a jailer. The conversion of the soul, which means being turned from spiritual darkness onto the glorious light of the gospel and from the power of Satan unto God, is the most remarkable, important, and unique experience that can befall we who are sinners the side of eternity. The work of regeneration, or as described in John chapter 3, verse 3, as the experience of being born again. This is the work of the Holy Ghost alone. It cannot be whipped up or manufactured or counterfeited because only God himself is the author and finisher of our faith. In a moment of time, when we come under deep conviction of sin, within our heart and soul there is a longing for cleansing, a longing or desire to have such a heavy burden or weight of sin removed, removed, a longing to get right with God. As it is the work of the Spirit of God, he will then lead us not to the baptismal font or to turn over a new leaf or to join a church. No, he will lead us to the cross where burdens are lifted at Calvary. Our sins are washed away in the precious blood of Christ. Hence that filthy sin that is within our heart is forgiven and forgotten by God. We who are once dead in sin, spiritually, uh, of course, I'm speaking, as dead as one lying in a coffin waiting to be lowered into the grave, we are now made alive in Christ Jesus. For the scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. <laughs> While it is true, the brass bands of the world are not brought out to celebrate such an event. Yet in the glory, the place that matters, the kingdom of Almighty God, we read in Luke chapter 15, verse 10, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And in our reading today, we have the first of many most remarkable conversions to God in the continent of Europe. Lydia, the Philippian jailer, and indeed their households were among the first fruits of a mighty harvest that is still being gathered today. So let us look at this, these remarkable conversions. The first thing, we have the providence of God in conversion. The providence of God can be termed or explained as the hand of God in the glove of human events. He directs and controls everything on the planet, even to those he calls to repentance and faith. 
It is not a haphazard moment. It is a deliberate act of mercy and divine intervention by God himself. For Jesus said in John 6, 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. You see, none of us would ever have come to Christ unless and until the Father drew us by the cords of love to the foot of the cross. We would have never went and asked forgiveness if the Holy Spirit had not have convicted and drawn us to Calvary. So in the providence of God, he brings three people together in the story. A proselyte of the Jewish religion, Lydia. A preacher of the word, Paul. And of course, the Philippian jailer. Three people from different backgrounds who normally probably would never have met. But you see, the Lord had a plan that each one of them would cross each other's path. Lydia was a woman of Thyatira, a seller of purple, that is, red dyed cloth, which was very much prized by the Romans. She was a Jew. But here's the question. Was it the selling of her red dye cloth or perhaps her marriage to a Gentile, a man who lived in Philippi, that she found herself now resident in this chief city of Macedonia where she came face to face with Paul for the first time? Is it any mistake that she goes out to a riverside meeting in the absence of a Jewish synagogue, where prayer was wont to be made on that particular day, where present for the first time was the apostle. If Lydia had been present at any other time at this Riverside meeting, Paul would not have been there. She would have sat down with these religious Jewish women. She might have listened to their prayers and engaged in the worship of the God of Israel, but none of them were saved. Lydia would have heard no gospel. She would have went on believing the lie that the Messiah was yet to come. Was it all a coincidence? Or how did it come about? There can be no doubt that in the providence of God, Lydia was brought to Philippi to be confronted with the claims of Christ, as preached by the Apostle Paul, as confirmed by this young woman who was possessed of the devil, as we read there in the verse 17. These are the servants of the Most High God, which show us the way of salvation. And Thyatira, uh, which was Lydia's former home, was situated in the center of Asia, where Paul, in verse 6 of chapter 16, was forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach there. So if she had have been home where she came from, she would have heard no gospel and she would have remained unsaved. Also the servants of the Lord were meant to go to Bithynia. But again, as in verse 7 of Acts 16, the Spirit suffered them not. But rather there was a man of Macedonia who appeared to Paul in a night vision and called across the sea in verse 9 of six, chapter 16, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Philippi, where Lydia was now resident, was one of the chief cities of Macedonia. Is that a coincidence? We can clearly see 
that there is no such thing as chance or coincidence with God. We can clearly see the providential hand of the Lord working behind the scenes to bring about Lydia's conversion. Little did Paul realize that this would be the first of many conversions to God. In fact, it was the beginning of a great harvest that has still been gathered 2,000 years later. The Lord, you see, arranges the salvation of the lost. He brings you and I to the very place of redemption, or he brings us to an end of ourselves at a particular point in our life, as he did with Paul. It was a road, the Damascus Road, and thus he brought Lydia to a riverside meeting. I am sure many of us could tell our own story as to where and when we were brought face to face with Christ our Saviour. Then you have the Philippian jailer. So it was with him. He was a coarse, rough, brutal man. He would never dream of going out to a river side meeting. He was a hardened sinner who cared nothing for the things of God. But the devil who opposes the salvation of men and women outwitted himself, or, as we often say, he always puts his big feet in it. Uh, so God did something very special. The jailer wouldn't go out to hear Paul at the riverside meeting, so the Lord ordered circumstances that the preacher of the word would be brought in unto him. Sometimes when we look at uh, particular situations, it's dark and dreary, but behind the scene there is the unseen hand. Now it was a terrible thing that Paul and Silence was arrested, and you would scratch your head at that time, what on earth is going on here? What good could come out of that? But yet, God was working in such a way that this uh, jailer wouldn't go out. So he was going to make sure he was going to hear the word of the Lord by bringing Paul in. So Paul and Silas was arrested, and with many stripes was laid upon them. They were brought and threw into the inner cold, dark prison. Was it a coincidence that the earthquake happened on that particular night? If it would have happened on any other night, the jailer who was suddenly woke out of his sleep in terror would have taken his own life. He would have known what happened to jailers when Peter escaped. Herod, according to Acts twelve nineteen, he all put them to death. Now, fearing that his prisoners had escaped, he's about to take his own life. And if it had been any other night, he would have done it and he would have gone to a suicide's grave. If it had been any other night, there would have been no one calling out to him on the verge of committing suicide. In verse 28, Paul shouted, Do thyself no harm. If it had been any other night, when he called out, What must I do to be saved? There would have been no one to tell him, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. It was clear, as in Lydia's case, the Lord was working behind the scenes to bring about the conversion of this jailer. So it is with every genuine work of grace. The God of providence will shake heaven and earth to order events whereby a people 
who was given to Christ by the Father before the foundation of the world, will be converted. How solemn, therefore, ought the hearing of the gospel be. Every meeting one attends, every sermon one hears, every gospel track one is given, Every Facebook or Twitter post that one reads has all been planned by a greater power, God working behind the scenes to bring you face to face with the claims of the gospel. The message that Paul preached in this particular day and this particular era is the same today. It will never change. And while there is one sheep that has wandered from the fold. The Lord will find it to bring it back. There will never be 99 in heaven, so to speak. There will always be 100. In other words, none that Christ died for will be outside of glory. Then secondly, the people that God converted Let's look a bit closer at these people. Uh, the type of person was Lydia, or the type of person was this Philippian jailer. Well, Lydia was a religious person. A religious person, says somebody. Well, what's wrong with that? Lydia kept the Sabbath day. There was no mention of her selling her cloth or doing business on the Lord's day, but rather in verse 14, she went out to the place of worship, even it meant a little riverside meeting. She didn't go to the beautiful heathen temple at Philippi. You see, religious people need to be saved. Cradled in religion does not make us a child of God. Being baptized, catechized, or conformed, or whatever, is not enough. Keeping the Sabbath day and attending church is good in themselves, but it is not sufficient. It is not powerful to regenerate a soul that is blighted and blinded by sin. In fact, a churchgoer or a Sabbath day keeper stands in the exact same queue of condemnation the Philippian jailer that would never dream of going out to a place of worship. He was a sinful man and religion meant nothing to him. But there's no difference. He was quite content to throw Paul and Silas into the inner prison, beating and treating him with such cruelty. It never cost him a thought. But whether one is religious or irreligious, both lay under the condemnation of God. Every person that has ever been born is, according to John chapter 3:18, condemned already. In other words, we do not have to wait to stand in the courtroom of heaven to know our fate. It has already been decided. When Adam and Eve fell in the garden, it condemned all mankind to hell. Every person who's not saved today is on the road to damnation. There was a gulf between humanity and God, and that gulf could never, ever be bridged until and unless Christ died upon the cross. The church cannot keep the soul from such a fate. 
The church can do nothing when the death angels are dispatched by God. All the religious trappings are meaningless, whether you're first at the altar reels on a Sunday or the only time that you're in church is a funeral or a wedding. It matters not how religious or irreligious you are. Heaven is not, is not for the religious. It is for the redeemed. And while Lydia was a God-fearing woman, a religious woman, she was not saved. She was not a child of God. She was religious. She was responsive. Acts 16, 14, she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Lydia gave attention. She listened. She hung on every word. She was listening to that which would change her heart forever. Sadly, we live in a world where they'll listen to anything and everything but the Lord. They will take advice from celebrities. They will listen to what TV personalities tell them, magazines, even clairvoyants. clairvoyants. But when it comes to the most important things that they will ever hear, people shut their ears and hearts. They'll sleepwalk through life until suddenly Awakening like the Philippian jailer, not to the clatter of an earthquake, but to the thunder of judgment and eternal death. What a horrific thing to suddenly to wake up in the very bowels of hell, realizing that there's no way back. There's no rescue plan in place. Gone forever. We need to listen to what God is saying. We need to listen to the, the word of God because someday you might have all eternity to regret it. She was religious, responsive. She was responsible. Well, God's overruling hand is seen in every genuine conversion, but that doesn't rule out the responsibility of the sinner in the matter of their salvation. Now, of course, it must be made clear at this point in Jonah 2.9, salvation is of the Lord. Remember that. When a soul escapes the eternal flame of an everlasting hell, uh, uh, the, the rescue is sovereign grace alone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, man in a sinful state is totally depraved. We have in our heart a total absence of holiness and the highest intensity of sin, and thus with such credentials, we have no part in the work of redemption. But when the Holy Ghost confronts, convicts, and concerns the soul about the need of being saved, then at that moment, the decision whether you save Christ or reject him is yours and yours alone. At that moment, the Bible puts it to you and me in the words of Joshua 24, 25, choose you this day whom you will serve. So in that respect, man is a responsible being with regard to his redemption. When a soul ends their days unsaved, lost and goes to the lake of fire, the horrendous punishment of a lost soul, it will be because they made a choice. They decided against putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is nothing more tragic. There is nothing more sad as to watch men and women die unsaved. It surely is the height of all sorrow. It's something we can never, ever forget. Even the Lord has said himself in Ezekiel 33, 11, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. There are things in life that we have no control over. Sickness, death, setbacks. 
But one serious matter that you have control is when you're under conviction of sin, the choice you make will determine your eternal destiny. When death comes and eternity bursts upon our view, this matter of salvation will be the most important thing that you will ever have thought about and the most important choice that you will ever have made. Matthew chapter 27, 22. What then shall I do with Jesus, which is called Christ? Yes, it was spoken by Pilate 2,000 years ago, but the challenge still echoes through the corridors of time. And as a responsible being, what you do with Jesus, you alone must decide. This is part one of the message. I will continue to record part two. And may God bless what I have already said in his name and for his eternal glory. Thank you for listening. God bless. Good afternoon, everybody. This is part two of Acts chapter 16 from verse 13 to 24. I entitled part one, uh, the message, the conversion of a Jew and a, and, a, and a jailer. First of all, we looked at the providence of God and conversion. And secondly, the people that God converted. And then thirdly, to follow on, to complete the message, we have the power of God in conversion. Um, we read uh, with reference to Lydia and the Philippian jailer. Now, the power of God is in conversion. We see that he opened the heart. Uh, in verse 14, with regard to Lydia, we read whose heart the Lord opened. The Lord is attributed to many powerful acts uh, in Bible history, human history, uh, has been seen, we've seen the hand of God at work, which has astounded generations after generations. But there is nothing compares uh, to the power of God in the glorious act of conversion. It is only when the Lord opened Lydia's heart that she attended unto the things spoken by Paul. Paul could have stood there and preached all day, and he could have preached all night. And he was the greatest preacher apart from Christ himself. But in essence, that means nothing unless it is accompanied by the power of the Holy Ghost and the inner workings of the Spirit in the heart of the sinner. And it was when the Lord opened Lydia's heart that she took note and received Christ as her Savior. The preacher cannot open your heart. No one can open your heart, only God. Lydia, being a religious Jew, and thus well-versed in Old Testament history, would have been full of prejudices against the preaching of Christ. Her heart, being closed to these fundamental truths, would have caused her in the main to reject them. But it wasn't until God opened her heart that she began to realize the true meaning to Old Testament scripture, that she knew, that she 
I've no doubt would have known being a religious woman. Uh, for example, when she read in Isaiah 53, verse 6, now it became real. He was wounded. Who's he? The Lord Jesus Christ was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Having her heart opened, uh, by the Spirit of God, she began to realize that Jesus Christ is uh, in the Old Testament from the, from the beginning, from Genesis to Malachi. She would have began to understand what she did not before, all because God did this marvelous work that only he can do. It was as if God flicked the light switch uh, from her living in darkness, suddenly she began to see and view what was uh, unknown to her uh, in her previous years. She melted under the preaching of Paul when she began to realize that Jesus indeed was the Messiah and he could and would save her and only him from her sin. She realized that her religion could do nothing for her, but she needed to be redeemed. Paul's words as she sat at that Riverside meeting was the instrument that God used in this lady's salvation, but it was the Lord that saved her by opening her heart. You see, the natural man is in spiritual darkness. And 1 Peter 2.9, Who hath called you out of darkness into this marvelous light, which in time past ye were not a people, but now are the people of God. That is the only time we can declare that we are the people of God when the Lord saves us. And in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, that shined into our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lydia's heart was a dark room and the Lord, as it were, switched on the light, and she began to see. So many people sing that song about Amazing Grace. And I remember years ago with a friend of mine, uh, he began to sing, and he did not understand the things of God. And I said, do you realize what you're singing? Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Listen to it. Was blind. But now I see. That is why people refuse and reject the gospel. They are blinded by the God of this world. And we can talk, and we can preach, and we can do all these sort of things, which we are commanded to do. It is God's foreordained plan that through the preaching, the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. That is our duty. That is our calling. But unless the Lord opens the heart, Unless the Lord moves in the soul of men, they will never be saved. But Lydia had this privilege of not only Paul coming to that riverside meeting that day, but God himself. So he opened the heart and then he opened the heavens. Because Acts 16, 16 26, with regard to the Philippian jailer, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. You see, the Lord worked behind the scenes to bring us face to face with people that will warn us 
and exhort us about the urgency of becoming a Christian, as with Lydia and the Philippian jailer. People, God brings people into our lives that we never realized before. These are messengers, your friend, your family, your work colleague. These, we are messengers of the Lord. It could be a verse of scripture. It could be a gospel track. It could be a word in season. But we are messengers. Like Paul with regard to the jailer who beat him and tied him up like an animal. And yet, God brought these two people together and they became the best friends. You see, Christians who oppose the sin of this world don't hate the sinner. People get that all mixed up. When the Christian stands up for God, they suddenly accuse us of hate and bitterness and prejudice. That is not the case whatsoever. We are commanded by God to earnestly contend for the faith. We are commanded to sow the seed of the kingdom. We do it because it's our duty and we love the Lord and we fear God. And like God, he loves the sinner. He loves the sinner, but he hates the sin. And because they love the Lord even more, that is the Christian, they never want to offend him by sitting on the fence on issues that are crippling our world, but rather they're willing to be hated so that you will come to Christ. Lydia had a religious background. She was prepared to go to, uh, to meetings and the place of worship, and the Lord dealt with her in his still small voice, calling her to himself, as with many tonight. They will hear the gospel and they will read a book or read the Bible and in the still small voice of God, he will speak. But there are other people who do, not, who do nothing uh, when they hear these things. They, they hear it so many times. They fall asleep. They're oblivious to their perilous condition. So the Lord speaks once and he'll speak twice and man perceiveth it not. So the Lord in his mercy has to awaken the sleeping sinner, uh, like this man. So God speaks no longer with the still small voice, but he speaks with a roar, like this earthquake upon the jailer. It brought terror to his heart. It brings people to an end of themselves, perhaps a death in the home. Some do very precious. Suddenly we're shocked. That's our earthquake, a sickness, a prolonged trouble that seems to have no end. That's our earthquake. You see, the heart then becomes soft. Anxiety takes place of carelessness, and the soul, perhaps for the first time, it becomes concerned to get right with God. He cried out, it took the earthquake in verse 30. What must I do to be saved? The question is, to you perhaps who are listening, what will it take to get you to the cross? Will you respond as with Lydia when God speaks to you in the still small voice? Or will you respond when he sends an earthquake? And remember the earthquake or the problem situation softens the heart. It doesn't convert the heart. 
But God uses it as a means of softening the heart, getting you in that position where he basically sits you down and speaks to you face to face because you never would listen to him before. So he opens the heart, he opened the heavens, and he opened the prison. In verse 26, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed. Whatever prison you are in tonight or today, God can open it, you know. Whatever binds you, God can set you free. Such is his power. It doesn't matter what it is. God can set you free. He that hath the Son is free indeed. The devil may have you incarcerated for a long time, perhaps for a lifetime of unhappiness, a burden to yourself and to others. No matter what you do doesn't seem to bring peace to your soul. Your prison doesn't have to be four walls. Your prison can be anything that keeps you from Jesus Christ. The only prison God cannot set you free from is his eternal prison. As I said a moment ago, as from John 8, 36, if the Son therefore shall make you free, he shall be free indeed. But God cannot set you free from the prison house of the damned. There is no rescue party set out once you cross over the river of death. Once you're jailed in hell forever, he cannot rescue you. He cannot set you free. But he can set you free now. From whatever your prison is, he can open the doors as he did for Paul and Silas. Then fourthly, the purpose of God in conversion. We have faithfulness in, in Acts sixteen fifteen. And when she was baptized in her household, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. As Christians, there is only one thing to, that God wants from you and me, and that's to be faithful. To be faithful. Paul was opposed everywhere he went. He was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned. But it did not deter him from reaching others for the master. In fact, Acts 15, 26 tells us, men that hazard their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But did that stop Paul? Of course it didn't. Because Paul had a vision of his master. And he had a burden for souls. And that is missing today in the church of Jesus Christ. We have lost our vision of Jesus. And we have lost the burden for the lost. It appears today that men are fainting with fear. And I believe the church will suffer its most subtle form of persecution. In the days to come, not by the mob. But by the law of the land. When one reads the accounts of Christ and all his disciples, especially the life of Paul, it was the authorities and the religious establishment 
that was his main opposition. And as the laws are changing here in Ulster, the pressure to stand down and shut up intensifies as the liberal lobbies fight for more and more that infringe our liberties to preach and teach the word of God. They will not stop at abortion. They will not stop at same-sex marriage. They are not content till they rip up the Bible and they liberalize this land to such an extent that it is no longer recognized as the last bastion of biblical Protestantism, but a place of judgment, awaiting judgment, a liberal land destroyed by sin and every filthy abomination that uh, sweeps across the land that leads people to a lost eternity. So great testing will come. And it is in the midst of the flame and fire. We still, by God's help, must remain faithful for the destiny of thousands of souls hangs in the balance and perhaps even our own because persecution will expose our faith to see if what we have at the end of the day is but wood, hay and stubble. And then we have families. Verse 15. And when she was baptized in her household, and in verse 34, believed in God with all his house. You see, both Lydia and the Philippian jailer not only got converted, but their families got converted. It is the desire of the Lord that our households be saved. This is seen from the very beginning. After 120 years of preaching by Noah, it was his family that God had mercy upon. One night in Egypt's history, screams of consternation filled the midnight air as the firstborn was slain. But it was the homes that put the blood upon the lintel and the, and the two side posts that were saved and safe. One of the calamities, one of the solemn realities of our testimonies is that most of our households are divided. They would be severed for all eternity. If the, if the Lord or the death angel was to come today. The first family on the earth is split for eternity. Adam, Eve and Abel are in heaven. But sadly Cain is in the depths of hell. David, the man after God's own heart, alive on the earth. If he was alive on the earth tonight, you would still hear him weep with uncontrollable emotions about his son. In 2 Samuel 18, 33, O my son. My son, would God I had died instead of thee? You see, heaven will not be heaven without our family. Oh, we need to pray. You know, it seems to be that we can reach the outsider that comes to our meetings or we meet for the first time when we start to witness to them. Uh, yet our families are preached to for a lifetime and we cannot see a stir among them. The story is told many years ago of a young farmer, and with this I finish, who attended meetings, and when he was approached by the evangelist about his soul, 
The young man with tears running down his face, he said, I would love to be saved, you know, but I'm not just, I'm not just going to get saved just now. The meetings passed and he never did make, he never seemed to make a profession anyway. Exactly one year later, this is a true story, he took out. The preacher was sent for and with a heavy heart he climbed the stairs to the bedroom. And he entered the room where the young man was lying in a semi-conscious state. The father of the boy asked the preacher to pray. So he did. But what struck the preacher that night was when the big farmer himself kneeled down so tenderly beside the bed of his dying boy. And he was heard to say, Could you not tell your mammy, could you not tell your daddy that you got saved? And there was no answer. The boy was so deep in unconsciousness that he couldn't tell his mommy and he couldn't tell his daddy that he, became, that he was a Christian. Households are divided forever. If we die without Christ, they will never be united again. When we say goodbye, it is forever. But thank God if we are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the death of our family or our friend is not goodbye. It is merely good night. I will see you in heaven's glorious morning. May God help us to be faithful, uh, not only to our friends, the community, and strangers, but to our very own families. And indeed, that it will be our joy that there will come the day when they will say to us, what must I do to be saved? Thank God we have the answer. Christ is the answer. Je believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. To believe means to put your faith and trust completely and absolutely in Jesus Christ for salvation, to rest upon the finished work of the Savior. But it's not enough just to believe in that sense, because the Bible tells us the devils believe and tremble. We must act on that belief by receiving Christ, by calling upon him, and the Bible is promised, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. May God help you and may God bless you. As I said, this is the part two of the message. Part one has already been recorded. And I hope that the both recordings of this message, the conversion of a Jew and a jailer, will be a blessing to you. May God himself be glorified. May God himself be praised and honoured as those hear and listen and indeed respond to this message. May God bless you. May God keep you safe. We thank you for your prayers, your support, and Facebook for Christ. It is a tremendous encouragement to me these number of years to have people from all over the world make contact and support and encourage me in this wee work. I appreciate it so deeply. 
It, is a, it has changed my life. And I love you in the Lord. And I do appreciate your prayers for my son, Stephen, uh, who is a doctor in the forefront of the fight against coronavirus. And you can imagine how that feels for me here every day. And indeed his mother also. Remember Stephen's aunt, uh, Florence, she's also in intensive care working and in the very heart of it also, that, that the Lord would protect. Florence is a great children's worker and is sold out to the Lord and her service for him. And she's one of those extra special nurses who goes the extra special mile. So do pray, not only for Stephen and Florence, but all the staff of the NHS. We cannot thank them enough. Uh, it's just incredible. I've always been a supporter of the NHS. I've been there, been in hospital, and uh, even threatened to name a, uh, a room after me. Uh, I've been in there that many times. So do continue to pray. And, you know, the Lord has permitted coronavirus to sweep across the world. And while we can say that it is speaking to the unsaved, the sinner, well, that is true. But I personally believe, and you can debate or argue, uh, but I believe God is speaking to the church. It is speaking to the people of God. And maybe I'll say something about that at another time. May God help us. Uh, our time is short to serve him. The night cometh when no man shall work. May God bless you all and thank you for listening.